Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Still here, Ethan. Still with you. Still with me. And there are a couple of ASU players that aren't with ASU football anymore, at least are in the transfer portal after the spring. Two of their best three technique tackles and two of their most productive returning wide receivers as well as a star young linebacker all after the spring have entered the transfer portal. So, Chris, this has been in a lot of ways them getting clobbered on the head so far after spring, after already a lot of players leaving before spring. Uh, so what do we know? It's now after the deadline of May 1st to apply for entering the transfer portal, which was the deadline for eligibility this season, except for uh, for non-graduates, I should say. So what have you seen from this and where are we standing as it's been a pretty big development in the last week or so? Yeah, ASU absolutely got decimated, uh, unlike any year I've ever seen in, in history. Um, they have 17 total transfers who were scholarship players from last year's roster uh, by this May 1st deadline, which, as you said there, is when you have to enter the transfer portal and uh, in order to be able to be eligible to play this season. People can still transfer after May 1st, but then they have to sit out the year, right? So we knew that it was bad before spring ball when Jaden Daniels, Johnny Wilson, Deamonte Tranum, Tommy Hill, and others transferred. But then uh, after the spring, really, it just uh, went to another level. Um, Jermaine Lole, one of ASU's unquestionable best players, uh, even after not playing last year due to the triceps tear, uh, entered the portal and uh, he indicated we reported this first he indicated that his preference is to stay at asu but there's nil money that's out there and you, you kind of have to enter the portal to be able to evaluate all your options that's something we're going to be talking a lot about later on in the podcast but it is one of the factors that's leading to some of these transfers or considerations of transfer but then on top of that his his top backup omar norman lott enter the portal. I don't expect he'll be back. Uh, ASU also lost Eric Gentry, a freshman All-American linebacker from last season. Really, their best freshman, pretty clearly, um, is going to USC. So that that makes it even worse for ASU and its fans that not only do they lose a player like that, but he he's going to the, the, the South rival uh, in the Trojans. And USC also picked up two of Colorado's best players in in, in uh, is making a big improvement of its roster quite immediately with via the transfer portal. And of course, they've been a lot of reporting about uh, uh, USC having a lot of NIL money uh, coming in from boosters to support what's happening there with their new coaching staff. And, and, um, and then ASU also lost both of its top two returning wide receivers uh, who participated in spring football. Ricky Pearsall, he's looking at Florida and Oregon and maybe a couple other schools. And then LV Bunkley Shelton, uh, who he posted to his IG stories that he was on Arizona's campus, which that's not going to go over well if he ends up uh, transferring to Arizona. Um, really, the, the the wide receiver position has been pretty much decimated because they had, as I mentioned, Johnny Wilson earlier, Jordan, uh, Jordan Porter transferred to New Mexico earlier. Um, so they've lost, I think five wide receivers in total, um, which they haven't, they did not add any 
uh, Division One transfers or even any high school receivers in spring football. So um, you look really across their their roster right now, and they've been they've been crushed uh, because remember they also lost more than ten important seniors from last year's team. They lost half their starters or more who were seniors. Now they've lost five or six other guys who were starters or were going to be starters to transfer. I think all told, uh, they're going to be replacing at least 15 of their starters from last season. And um, it's, I never, I don't think that there's been any, ever been a time when ASU's had to replace more than 20 of its top 35 to 40 players. But I would say, generally speaking, that's that's what we're dealing with. Somewhere in the low 20s um, of their best 35 to 40 players are no longer on the roster. And, um, and I, I've been trying to, to say to people since last year, really last summer, that two things were going to really impact this this program under Herm Edwards, and that was the the new realities of the NIL. Uh, name, image, likeness, money, which went into effect in a lot of these states uh, last summer, and then also uh, at the same time the the NCAA investigation uh, into recruiting, which has caused a lot of, of uh, pressure on uh, ASU's ability to uh, have a, have a, a fully uh, built out staff. Remember, they lost uh, five of their assistant coaches, including both their coordinators. Um, that directly or indirectly as a result of this. And um, and then uh, that has a major impact also on their roster and uh, sort of confidence that that people uh, in and around the program have in their ability to, 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 to get things done. So it's, 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 we're talking about a situation overall, Ethan, that is really as, as dire uh, and I don't mean that in any sort of sensationalist way, but the the you can't lose thirty plus players, twenty something of your best players, and then expect that you're going to be able to uh, uh, do you know not have a downward descent from 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 that point. And so I think um, last year we talked a lot about on the podcast and on the side about how eight wins was. It was okay, but it really was kind of an underachievement relative to the potential of that team. But the raw, the difficulty this year is that the, the the schedule is tougher, and they have way way less returning. They did add a bunch of transfers, including uh, twelve Division One or Division Two transfers, and a lot of those guys are going to end up having to start for sure. Um, and they had more of the participation in spring ball of those guys than ever before. So that's that's a positive for ASU, but it's it's really uh, you can't expect that that's going to offset all of their losses. Yeah, and, and more specifically, but I guess kind of as a broad too, we broke the Lele story, and he is leaving strictly because of NIL, and said that he would like to come back and and be a Sun Devil, but he's exploring his options and with the kind of NIL opportunities. So. Of the players that are leaving, would you say that almost all of them are leaving strictly for NIL purposes, or are there other things that might be causing players to leave too? No, um, I would say NIL is a major factor in many, if not most, of their decisions. But some of the guys are not 
going to get big NIL deals elsewhere. And it was more about um, playing opportunity or their confidence in, in the, the, for example, like the ASU's passing offense is, is very suspect right now. The quarterback position is not, not good. They, uh, the, the coaching staff has been uh, trying to acquire additional quarterbacks this spring after, after practices ended via transfer. So the fact that Ricky Pearsall and LV Bunkley Shelton left, I don't think that was primarily NIL money. In fact, I was told very directly that it wasn't in the case of Ricky Pearsall um, by multiple people close to him and, and, and aware of his uh, deliberations. And um, LV Bunkley Shelton, I don't think he's going to get NIL money really probably uh, elsewhere. Um, ASU also lost uh, Lanyada Alexander, a four-star, the only four-star receiver they signed in the last class. To Washington, that's not an NIL uh, decision. Spencer Lovell is a is um, was battling to start at right guard in spring ball. He left. He's not going to get NIL money. Um, and and Jaden Daniels is probably could have got uh, plenty of NIL money at ASU. Probably I don't know if, if more than than LSU, but I, his decision was not really primarily an NIL decision. I mean, you have to also think of it this way, right? Like um, some of these guys, they like a Daniels, for example, they aspire to play in the NFL. And uh, if, if there's a lot more money at stake in your NFL draft stock or draft location than there is in NIL. And so that's, that's a big factor. Uh, now, Diamante trained him transferred to play with linebacker and go to Ohio state. So, I think that's like that's he's changing positions and all of that. Um, you know, uh, Eric Gentry definitely nil was a major factor for him. Um, there's rumors. I, I I can't say this is definitely true, but there's a lot of rumors that he was he's uh, getting somewhere in the mid six figures or up to the mid six figures in order to uh, transfer to USC. And he had other options. Other schools were really after him. I heard Penn State. Uh, Florida and and others uh, were also pretty aggressively pursuing him. So, and by the way, um, no ASU players have been offered significant NIL money to this point, except for Jermaine Lole, very, very recently in the last week being offered. Uh, I don't know exactly how much, but I think it was more than a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, by this this NIL collective that is that uh, some prominent ASU boosters have put together, but I think that Lole's uh, plays an important position. He's very established. It's hard for me to imagine that he won't get at least two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from some NIL collective. And just now, I've already been saying this term, this collective term, a bunch, so people understand. Um, the these collectives are boosters and other people with interests in supporting individual college programs who because of a, the the sort of rules changes last year the NCAA lost the court case um that uh basically said that players should, should have the ability to, to to monetize their name image and likeness which then led uh all these boosters to decide that they were going to um they were going to to kind of put the resources together and 
essentially pay their players for for promotional marketing type of opportunities, you know, making social media posts, appearances, uh, things of that nature, you know, and um, ASU was very, most of the sort of the, the, the highest tier programs around the country. A lot of people maybe have read about Texas A&M having this huge sort of uh, um, uh, momentum in recruiting as a result of NIL money. They signed the top ranked class in the country and were rumored to have given out uh, eight figures and NIL money to recruits in exchange for um, their ostensibly in exchange for going to Texas A&M. Now what they do is they there's they're not allowed uh, to to put in any of these contracts that it's quid pro quo like you're getting this money in exchange for going to this particular school. But what they do to sort of work around that, from what I understand, at least some of these collectives, they're they're basically purchasing the the NIL rights to these players, um, and the rights only have value at the particular school that the fans support. So Texas A&M fans are, uh, you know, like if the kid, if a kid goes to Texas A&M because he's being paid by the NIL collective in exchange for trading his, giving up his rights to monetize his NIL further, then he can't transfer somewhere else later and secondarily monetize it at another school because he's already given, signed away his rights to that other collective and so that's kind of what some of these booster groups are doing like i in the case of like tennessee i think they're apparently giving millions of dollars to a quarterback a five-star quarterback in the 2023 class and the way that you sort of secure have some confidence in securing that without being able to mention the school directly um is you basically take over the nil rights to these kids and so it's kind of the wild, wild west out there right now. And ASU has been extremely slow. Most of the Pac-12 teams have been really slow. Pac-12, of course, seems to be a step behind the day late, dollar short, literally, uh, compared to um, the SEC and a lot of the most prominent uh, uh, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC programs. And we're seeing the ramifications of that very clearly right now on ASU's roster. Yeah, and looking at that roster, when this many players leave and, and with this much talent going out the door as well, it, it can't really be that good of a thing. But in, in terms of specifically looking at that roster, like you just said, where kind of are the biggest problem areas? I know we, we just talked about two of their three technique, starter and backup, both leaving. So is, is that the biggest problem area, or is there anywhere else also that could be the biggest problem area for ASU? Well, um, I said throughout the spring that ASU's front seven defensively was the best part of the team. And uh, you had in Jermaine Lole, Omar Norman Lott, and Eric Gentry, three of their really good players, if not among their best players on the whole team, that were huge factors in that front seven. Uh, Lole is their starter at that three-tech position. There's two defensive tackle positions, a nose tackle, which is where DJ Davidson played. The three tech, which is where Lole and Omar Norman Lott played, and Chen Foreman played there some last year, who also graduated and moved on, along with Davidson and Tyler Johnson. Um, so now ASU just took a pretty big hit from those two spots. I still don't, that's still um, 
they're stronger at linebacker and along their defensive line than they are elsewhere. Part of that is because Robert Rodriguez has done a really great job, their D-line coach, at acquiring and developing talent. So they still have, they got the Miami transfer, Nesta Silvera. Uh, they have PJ Pesafea. Those are two nose tackles. Pesafea has also played some three-tech in the past, so that's a possibility. They have BJ Green, the walk-on who led the team in sacks last season, uh, is a three-technique tackle, so he can maybe play more of a role. And then they got a junior college uh, assignee, Jaleel Rivera Harvey, who has the ability to play three-tech. And then their defensive end, so that's where they have probably – they're as strong as anywhere because they have Travez Moore came back from injury. Both their starters, Michael Matus and Anthony Cooper are back. They also have Joe Moore and Garrett Stansberry, who are two young, really emerging stars. They're going to have to be careful about their ability to hold on to those guys after this year due to NIL as well, uh, I would say. But then they have the two six-year senior linebackers, Kyle Soli and Merlin Robertson. They lost Gentry. That's a hit. So they're going to have to replace him. Some of the, the the options to do that are really Connor Soley, um, Rodney Gross Jr., um, Will Schaefer, uh, and then Caleb McCullough. Those are their other young linebackers. And one or more of those guys are going to have to play more now as a result of Gentry's departure. But really, it's it's at other places where they are much more severely undermanned right now. Uh, quarterback, as I said earlier, between Trenton Borgay and Paul Tyson and Dalen McElmore, I don't think they have somebody. Um, and then Finn, Finn Collins also. I don't think they have somebody who's ready to play at a mid-Pac-12 level or better than that. Uh, I would say that unless they add, you know, somebody, um, they they it, it's 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 a position that will probably be much less than their average sort of uh, quarterback play that they've had uh, in recent history. Um, Emory Jones from Florida visited ASU, but that hasn't gotten done yet. I've heard you looking at a couple of other schools, including Liberty. So we'll have to see what happens there. Um, wide receiver, they are absolutely in a dire situation. Um, they lost basically all their starters. Um, they have not added anybody from the transfer portal as yet. They only have five scholarship wide receivers, one of whom Geo Sanders was a former walk-on. So really four recruited. Um, one of those, Chad Johnson Jr. Did, had no catches last year, barely played. And the others, Brian Thompson had, I think, 13 catches. Andre Johnson, 12 catches. Elijah Badger, something like seven catches. So they have like 32 catches total returning at the wide receiver position. They have fewer wide receivers now on scholarship than they have tight ends committed to the roster. Uh, they have seven tight ends committed so and maybe only six because jake ray uh probably will play he's had you know concussion issues and wasn't with the team in the spring but nevertheless wide receiver when you don't have a, their biggest problem with the team last year probably other than their operational issues and the penalties and all that was their passing game and now you now uh, jane daniels is gone they don't have a quarterback who looks the part as yet they don't have wide receivers who have done much of anything at this level and they have a new coordinator in Glenn Thomas. So that that's a big issue. Uh, they lost three offensive linemen, Donovan West, Henry Haddis, um, uh, Kellen Deesh. Uh, surprisingly, Donovan West and, and Kellen Deesh didn't get drafted, thought that they would. Uh, but so they've added four trans D1 transfer linemen 
we talked about it in the previous podcast. I'm not going to go over all of it again, but they, they, they another guy that they added more recently than that was Joey Ramos, the local product at Deer Valley High School who went to Iowa State. He was a starter before getting hurt two years ago. He has a chance to plug in at right right tackle, could play could play center, maybe even could play guard. So versatile offensive lineman that <clears throat> should help them. Of course, they lost Spencer Lovell, as I said earlier. So, uh, but. I don't think they'll be as good along their offensive line, but they should be all right. And um, their secondary, they have continued to add players. Um, they just added Ro Torrance, who's a corner who played at Auburn previously. They added him recently. So they have sort of beefed up some of their secondary because remember in the spring they had Corey Bethley and Chris Edmonds as sort of older veteran safety transfers. They also have Tark Luckett, former Colorado guy, who went JUCO, bounced back, and now he's coming back to the Pac-12 at ASU. Um, but the the most glaring by far is their quarterback, wide receiver, their, uh, and then their three-technique position now that Lole and Omar and Omar Lauder in the, in the portal. And and Lole hasn't – he's not gone, gone yet. I mean, I think probably he doesn't end up back at ASU because of the money that he's going to be offered by some of these NIL things. But uh, – he 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 has indicated he has an NIL uh, agent, but he has indicated uh, for people that we talked to that that he would prefer to be back at ASU. I just think that it seems unlikely given the financial climate out there right now. Yeah, and in terms of all of that, it it seems like in a lot of ways, from looking at spring ball, it's almost flip flopping kind of what positions are looking to be the best and which ones may kind of be not as great with how they look right now, but in terms of who they're looking at and who they might still add, are there any positions that you think might still be okay, or at least kind of in good shape come the season based off of what you've heard in terms of adding players? Well, they, they definitely need to add additional wide receivers, like at least two to probably, I mean, really. So one of the things that we do all every year is we, 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 we always sort of indicate how many, players scholarship players that that a team should have at every single position based upon the scheme that they run something that we do for our members but i'll explain it to the this audience as well so you the team should have 10 or 11 scholarship wide receivers going into a season that's like a healthy solid number for the style of offense today as you runs well they have five they have half that so um and then not only do they have half of that but then, but then uh, Brian Thompson and Geo Sanders are seniors. So they're going to lose two of those five at a minimum after this year. So they have three returning guys. So I've never really seen ASU have this bad of a wide receiver situation, uh, go, you know, going into the summer. So they, 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 they desperately need wide receivers. They really can, should do whatever they can, try to get a, quarter, a quarterback, uh, the reason that this, this Florida quarterback transfer, uh, Jones was such a good option for them, uh, was because he's extremely mobile. He, he had like, he led Florida's team with like 800 something, uh, rushing yards last year. Well, if you don't have a very good receiver room, you need your quarterback to be able to make plays in other ways in addition to your run game. And so, uh, you can do that via the, your ground game. And, and so, uh, but they, those are those are those are desperate situations. Now they they've shored up their offensive line reasonably well. They're tight end. They got two transfers, including um, 
uh, kid from Missouri uh, who's you know, played a lot of football besides Swinson um, to try to offset the loss of Curtis Hodges. Uh, defensive line, they, they, they're, they're, they're really good everywhere except for this three technique position. And even that three technique, I think they'll finally, they'll find a way to kind of make it work. All right. Uh, linebacker, they, you know, they're, they're shallow at the top, but they're, they still have, you know, two of the most experienced guys in the pac 12. So they're probably not going to add any linebackers. Uh, they probably could use one more cornerback and the cornerback was a weak position in spring football, probably the weakest on their defense. I would say pretty clearly um, some of the guys who are returning didn't play to the level I kind of expected. You know, they, they have now added um, some of these other guys who I think have a chance to play a lot. Roe Torrance and uh, Tark Luckett um, among them. So um, I, look, I think that they're, they're still going to be probably pretty decent at most of their positions. I just think that the passing game and, and, and I've said it, you know, a bunch now, but the, the passing game and their and their overall talent at the receiver position is really, really, really uh, problematic. Elijah Badger is a guy who's as talented as anybody on their offense. They need him to step up in just an absolute major way. Like he 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 had seven catches last year. He wasn't ready to play uh, in a lot of their formations and stuff because he had he struggled to sort of you know um, understand like how to get everything done on the fly in terms of getting lined up properly, all the assignments and some more of the advanced elements of, of playing receiver in the pack 12, he needs to take a huge jump and needs to be like one of their most productive players on offense this year. Otherwise I don't really, I, I don't see how they're going to be able to be really successful. When kind of, we've kind of gone over the roster in terms of how it looks after this, you talked a little bit about, uh, the NIL stuff that was happening at ASU with the group that kind of came together. What have you seen maybe from ASU and just kind of around, you, you talked a little bit about other schools as well, but what does the NIL scene kind of look like? It's kind of the the new reality of NIL as some are calling it. What have, what have you seen from it from ASU specifically? Well, they've been very slow uh, with their, their administratively, uh, Ray Anderson, and then Michael Crow, their the university president, the, the the comments that were have been made in the past by them, especially Anderson, um, including in a radio interview that was on Arizona Sports at the end of February, was was really a major head scratcher to me. It was like, hey, we're not going to be able to compete in the NIL space with a lot of schools, um, and we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to outdevelop players. Uh, who had NFL aspirations as a means of, of you know, uh, being successful in another kind of a way. And I just thought that was, uh, I thought it was just naive or ignorant or, I, I mean, it, 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 Ray Anderson's making $2 million a year to anticipate, uh, if things are going well, to anticipate what are the problems that are going to affect our athletic department at ASU and how do we address them? Okay. It wasn't a surprise a year ago that ASU was going to run into having a major problem retaining its most talented players on its roster. This idea that they're just going to want to stay at ASU because they're going to be better developed is completely illogical, right? Uh, the schools that have the most money 
they also are the most successful and they tend to turn out the most NFL players, right? Like, uh, so like Eric Gentry getting up to six figures to go to USC when he also could have gone to Penn state and Florida and other places. Why, why, why would, why would Eric Gentry think that he's not going to get, be as well coached or get as much exposure or whatever under Lincoln Riley, who just came from Oklahoma where they, you know, they, they did just fine uh, versus ASU. Like why, 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 if, like, how is ASU going to be so much better at preparing guys that it makes it worth staying at ASU versus them making several hundred thousand dollars more money uh, by going to another school? It's not doesn't make any sense. And so and so really, I think that uh, and I said this in a Pac-12 uh, uh, serious XM Pac-12 channel interview also this week but what what's happened in the pac-12 is the at the presidential and chancellor level they don't have that same the competitive passion desire intensity and focus on uh football that there exists in other parts of the country okay and because you don't have that then you're not really seeing and understanding what are the biggest challenges that you're going to be facing on the next horizon and the, and then beyond that, right? You have to anticipate what's coming and in order to be prepared for it. And the comments that have been made by Ray Anderson, um, you know, prior to you know, pretty recently, I guess, just they fly in the face of any logic or reason. It was obvious that ASU was going to face the potential of losing some of its best players. And, and uh, schools, this is important. Schools are, they're not, they're not technically uh, supposed to be spearheading uh, these NIL um, collectives. Okay. But uh, I think that we understand that one of the most important jobs of an athletic director is to is booster engagement and outreach and development, especially with the upper echelon tier of people who give to your program. You have to be able to keep those people motivated, inspired, uh, engaged. They have to understand what these challenges are. They have to be willing to help you step up and confront what those challenges are, so that you can be successful as an athletic director, and that your program can then be more be, be more successful than those you're competing against. Okay, and I have spoken with many of ASU's uh, many ASU significant boosters, including some of the upper echelon boosters, and I'll tell you really pretty obviously that the support and the engagement has fallen off with the, the, the very, the biggest name people. Okay. When, when Todd Graham was coaching at ASU, he had Jack first and Steve Butterfield who were the biggest contributors to, uh, you know, helping ASU get the student athlete facility built and spearheading other people, other, uh, pr other prominent boosters around them. Well, uh, Steve Butterfield, uh, he, he died uh, several years ago. Uh, Jack first, it was, a, was, was really, uh, directly connected to Todd Graham and mined by him. But then you have others, um, um, who are kind of in that next tier or maybe even kind of on, on par with those guys. 
And I don't want to name them because I don't want to sort of put it out there like that. But but some of these guys, they're not giving and they're not connected at the same level that they were just several years ago. And that is your athletic director and the people who work underneath him. That's their job fundamentally is to make sure that those people are staying extremely attached and open with their pocketbook toward your pursuits. And what, what happened at ASU with the, the NCAA investigation is that created another sort of uh, major uh, uh, area where uh, there could be a lack of confidence in from boosters to the administration and even to Herm Edwards and his football program. And if people don't feel like they, they're going to get a, you know, there's a good return on their investment, either emotionally or financially, emotionally really more so in, in, the, in the case of uh, trying to help a program be successful in football, then they're going to be less apt to, to make significant contributions. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars in, in really almost annually, uh, you know, or, or, or annualized in terms of the average, the amount of money that these people need to really kind of give to your program at the very top in order to be, for you to be successful. So um, there, this level, there is a level below that, that I would say is like still pretty prominent of, you know, where you have a bigger number of people who are still contributing and invested and all that. And it's really at that level that some of these, the, uh, that a half dozen of these guys are putting together this collective and they're going to work to really expand that. They have several hundred thousand dollars committed uh, they plan on on uh, filing for 5013C uh, recognition status by the IRS, which is nonprofit, uh, in May. Um, I've talked to multiple people who are involved in forming this collective and to get a better understanding of what they're trying to do and their aims and uh, how much sort of uh, how they're sort of internally uh, structured and the type of support that they have. It's very uh, they have you know legal expertise, marketing expertise, uh, sports agent. Uh, you know, uh, chops and they, and, um, and then they have just people who are local business people who are willing to put up a bunch of money, uh, in support of ASU athletics and ASU has said that they are supportive of the collective, but the problem though really is that, uh, they should have been driving from even prior to the collective rules going in place last summer, they should have been pushing to, to, to have ASU ready for that. And that, that didn't happen. And so even though like a guy like Jane Daniels had uh, an individual deal with, with Jones Automotive to drive around a, a Ford Mustang, nice Ford Mustang, he wasn't given the Mustang. He turned it back in when he before he transferred to LSU. And a guy like Jane Daniels at most places would have been already making six figures last year in NIL money. And, and no ASU player was making that. So of course that you're going to lose a lot of players when that's the case and you don't have your NIL uh, up and running anywhere near the degree that these other uh, these other schools have. And ultimately, ASU is not going to be able to compete with most of the, the SEC and, and some of these Big 12 and Big 10 teams for kids, but that's okay. What ASU needs to be able to do is compete with everybody in the West that is not named USC or Oregon. Right. If ASU is able to be competitive, um, it still may lose some of its biggest name players. I hate to say it to the fans. They still may lose some of their biggest name players who to schools that can outbid them, the collectives in other parts of the country. But you can't lose guys 
to, to you know, not USC, not Oregon, uh, and you can't not get recruits because, uh, you know, they're getting a little bit of money somewhere else when they could have got that money from an ASU collective. So the, the overall landscape is, is, is much tougher for a place like ASU than it was even two years ago, and it was already tough. But you have to have an athletic director and president who are forward-thinking, who are aggressive-minded. And let me tell you why. Okay, because one of the things I've been doing, I think some of our, our audience knows this, I've been talking to a lot of boosters lately. I'm going to be putting out a lot of content uh, based upon sort of booster sentiment and what they think about the athletic department and all that. And I've talked to multiple boosters who have canceled their ASU football season tickets after being season ticket holders for 30 plus years, 40 years. One guy uh, that I've known for, for a long time, 47 years and uh, still in great shape, uh, sharp, fit, physically, everything. 47 years, uh, he's like, yeah, I've had enough. I don't, I don't, I don't have any confidence in this, in this, uh, in this administration anymore and uh, that they're going to make the right decisions and do the, and do the things that they need to do in order to be successful. And then there's a bunch of other fans that I've talked to who have scaled back their donations or their season tickets, et cetera. And, and th- why is this important? Well, if ASU all of a sudden starts to have some of its most ardent supporters reduce or eliminate their financial giving to the program and the the support around football is the number one driver uh, economic driver other than media rights money to a program well then how can asu it's it, it's it's a sort of a, a self-fulfilling thing that ultimately then you're not going to be able to have the money that you need to, to support your your revenue sports from a human resource standpoint like the the filling all these jobs now you have all these kids in the portal right so that means you have to be great at scouting other uh, college teams you have to have an extremely robust scouting department you have to be able you have to have all of these things that allow you to be successful and then more broadly than that when you kind of expand outward well uh, ray anderson and crow they care so much about all their olympic sports and everything well um those sports aren't generating profits. So if you if so if your profit revenue, if your profit engine starts decreasing, which really is football and media rights money around football, and to a little bit of a lesser degree, men's basketball, if those start to decrease, well, h- how do you have enough money to go around, not just to a, a what is a growing national sort of a uh, uh, demand and resources with, with, with football, because uh, you know there's going to be more coaches, more support staffing, more infrastructure, more all that. How do you do that? Uh, much less, even spend more money in the sports that are that are already losing money. You you ultimately can't. And this is why some of the reporting has come out that ASU was uh, the most or among the most. Um, um, reliant on the university subsidization during the pandemic. So what happened was a lot of these, uh, like Ray Anderson and, and people who work for him, 
we're very proud about how ASU didn't have to furlough any of their employees or cut any sports as a result of the pandemic, despite a reduction in revenue that that uh, significant reduction in revenue. Because remember, there's no uh, there's only you know four football games and no fans in the seats, you know, uh, all, all that, and just a bunch of money that was just lost, uh, the NCAA tournament money, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, um, when that's, when that is sort of your reality and then you're not cutting anything, well, where does the money come from? Well, ASU basically was subsidized to like 60 to $70 million from the university. Well, that's more than any, like just about any other school and any other public school in terms of the public reporting on that. Um, so, uh, like you, you put all this together, you just stack one thing after another, the NCAA investigation, the lock booster confidence, the, 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 how highly subsidized the, the program is and all these things. How, how do you sort of unwind that and to get going into the right direction again toward uh, increasing your revenue, being in a better economic footing, uh, being able to support all these Olympic sports that you had. Remember when ASU added hockey, they also added added like two or three women's sports for Title IX reasons, like the cross country, I think it was, and sand volleyball or whatever. Uh, and, and you know, those sports are successful. I'm not saying those sports don't matter. Like it, it's it's great. Uh, I mean, it, it is also a, a noble thing. Like I, you know to 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 um you know aspire to have more student athletes that you're putting through your program and you're supporting and you're graduating and then they're going on and having their careers okay, that's great that's noble but but it's also sort of whimsical that you're going to be able to do that and lose money um as much as they are be subsidized as much as they are not have the football success to the degree that is going to keep your your the money flowing into your coffers in your primary sports, and then you're still going to be able to support all these other sports and football and basketball. It just isn't realistic. And, and so I just, it, it's, I can't stress enough that if you're Ray Anderson, you're making $2 million a year and you, and you're not understanding the, this and being ahead of the curve, not just recently. I, I like, I heard that there was like some athletic director conference that, that he attended pretty recently and everybody was talking about nil and he came back and and then it was like he and crow having conversations about hey you know this nil thing is it really is sort of the big thing right now we're gonna have to we're gonna have to you know muster up uh, a bunch of energy toward, toward toward that well gosh i mean that was obvious like a long time ago and these are the these are the uh these are the symptoms of the the root sort of problems that you have at asu which is a lack of foresight, a lack of being ahead of the curve, understanding what what problems are coming down the pike. And and by the way, ASU football, same things, right? That's why ASU ASU football, the most penalized team in the country last year on offense, at least, uh, not understanding like what uh, challenges they were going to run into when you go up to BYU on the road in a hostile environment, not being prepared with silent count snapping, the thinking that Jane Daniels would be able to handle. The stuff that we talked about previously, which is the signaling in, uh, you know, uh, to him, the reading of the wristband, all the players, uh, them not understanding that it's not a pro environment. The kids need to be motivated and disciplined in different kinds of ways. That's why they're flat in some games. The the what happened with Washington State, you know, uh, the Jane Daniels regression and then decision to transfer, you know, the football leadership around that. 
uh, the NCAA investigation, the mistakes that were made, and sort of were, that were totally unnecessary, the 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 infighting within your staff that that contributed to all that happening. It, it's 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 really in so many ways uh, obvious to me that the, the, those are just symptoms of that they the, the administration and the football leadership not having the type of ingenuity and foresight to be able to anticipate all of the things that they need to in order to be successful. Yeah. And this has kind of been a discussion throughout the season in terms of what happened with the NCAA investigation. And now after that, uh, the NIL stuff is kind of just bringing it even more to light, but with kind of the the top three guys with when we're talking about Ray Anderson, Michael Crow, and Herm Edwards, is there any talks or rumors of anything happening to them in regards to this stuff and not really doing as much as they've been expected to? Well, they're they're now um, in a you know almost impossible situation. You know, it's like uh, you know they're they're Houdini and they're and they're in the straitjacket and they're the key's been thrown away and they've been dumped into the water. <laughs> You got to try to figure out a way to get out of it at this point. I, I, I don't anticipate that's really likely to happen for, for, for them. Uh, now, Herm Edwards, as far as I understand, he hasn't spoken with the NCAA yet for his interview. That's part of the NCAA investigation into the ASU recruiting uh, improprieties that took place uh, during COVID when they were not allowed to meet with recruits, but they did so anyways, both on and off campus. We talked about that a bunch, uh, you know, in recent recent last six months or, or longer um, that notice of allegations will probably not come out until several months after Edwards speaks to the NCAA. Um, so that seems to me that it's probably at least four months away. Initially, I, I not initially, but um, you know, earlier this year, I'd heard that they were, that probably the NOA would come out sometime summer. I think at this point it's more trending late summer to fall based upon this this new timeline. If 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 Edwards talks to the NCAA this month or maybe in June, and then three months, you know, you get July, August, September. Okay, maybe something like that for the the notice of allegations. Um, if ASU is going to move on from Edwards in terms of firing him with cause, meaning not no longer paying him due to a violation of his contract, uh, based upon whatever is in the notice of allegations, which I anticipate to be level one infractions based upon the conversations I've had with people in and around the, the, the program, the athletic department, and their their expectations, quite frankly, are this day is going to take a pretty serious hit on this notice of allegations uh, up to and including Edwards. We already reported that uh, he met with recruits um, personally off campus, including at a rented home in Paradise Valley that was secured for the purposes of recruiting. Um, so they, they, they have the ability, the potential, I think, to maybe move on from him either after his uh, interview with NCAA, because it, in this interview with the NCAA, one of two things is going to happen. E- either um, he's going to acknowledge the the infractions that he participated in and that took place in this program and his knowledge of those things, um, or um, he's not. And either way, uh, it's pretty clear that there's the ability for ASU to take action based upon that or based upon what the notice of allegations include subsequent to that. Uh, now, I don't know that ASU is going to do that. Uh, remember, Ray Anderson represented Herm Edwards. And, um, you know, also, um, uh, they have a longstanding relationship, and he's the person who brought him in, and they're they're kind of t- tethered at the hip, if you will. So 
maybe you know Ray Anderson may try to uh, talk to his his boss Crow about um, some alternate pathway out of this thing. Maybe Edwards retires at the end of the season or something like that. Uh, maybe even and Anderson and Edwards decide that okay they're going to leave together. Um, they're they're this is they're probably they're at the tail ends of their careers anyways. These are probably the last jobs that these guys are going to have, given their 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 age, the late sixties or wherever they're at. Um, so I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I, I just uh, if Michael Crow is listening to this or or whatever, uh, ASU has already put itself into some bad financial situations. Uh, the Todd Graham contract, there was no offset language. They owed him a huge amount of money, like eight figures of money. Uh, upon dismissing him, they had given. Ray Anderson had given Herb Sendak a contract extension before dismissing him. Tracy Smith, I think, had a contract extension before dismissing him. It's just like you're all this money, and, and, and Edwards has what, like three years maybe left on his contract or something like that. Uh, the, the, the reality is that ASU needs to get a lot more phys- fiscally disciplined with uh, how it handles its coaches, especially coaches when there's been wrongdoing that's pretty obviously going to be. Uh, um, um, uh, articulated to the university by the NCAA in this notice of allegations, and 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 so uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think it's if, if if the obvious thing to me that should happen is that given what's happening with all this roster loss, the the way the program is trending right now, um, that uh, if all these things are included in the NOA and 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 Herm Edwards and the NCAA uh, interviews are as I expect they will be, very confident that they will be, then uh, ASU really should move on from from Edwards and really honestly should move on from Ray Anderson. Um, he hired him. And, and uh, you know, not only that, but Tracy Smith, the hiring didn't work out. Um, the, the, you know, Bobby Hurley has sort of hit a rougher patch uh, after some early success. I think that's also partly Ray Anderson's fault. They should have used... The uh, the early success of of Hurley as sort of a springboard to try to uh, procure enough donations to get the bond going to try to to either build a new arena or to 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 update pretty significantly Desert Financial Arena that didn't happen. Uh, yeah, I mean I think uh, I understand this two, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, but the idea that you would have a new hockey arena and Desert Financial. Uh, people are still struggling. Uh, you know, I'm not saying this facetiously. Like, literally, elderly people are struggling to get up and down the lower bowl of the stairs. I've seen people fall. Uh, I've seen people like comment about it's not, you know, um, dis- disability uh, disability codes and things of that nature because there's no railings and stuff. Um, it's probably as old and, and as outdated as any building in the Pac-12, which is much harder. I think to recruit successfully in that thing. And so there's just all these ways by which I think that um, this administration and Ray Anderson in particular have not uh, ushered ASU athletics into the new era, uh, the new realities of amateurism and uh, in the way that has been needed. And maybe you could say that he's just executing what his boss's vision is for ASU athletics, but I ultimately think very strongly that the athletic director's job is to make his boss, the president, understand what their challenges really are 
and to try to, again, be ahead of the curve on a lot of those things. So um, if ASU still has Herm Edwards and Ray Anderson going into next year, well, I, I think that the odds are that the continued program will continue to, uh, to move in a, in a, in a, in a negative direction as a result of those things. Because again, everything that we've that outlined here, these are the symptoms. They are not the cause. The cause is the root cause of these, of all of these symptoms are, are that uh, they don't have the, 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 um, the ability to sort of foresee all of the things that are going to be coming down the pike. They're going to have to do a good job of addressing ahead of all of their competitors, right? That's, that's how you, that, that's how you're successful in sports, right? You anticipate what your competitor is going to try to do to you and you're prepared for that. That's how, that's how you don't need four coordinators, you know, Billy Napier to Rob Lykins to Zach Hill, to Glenn Thomas, different types of offenses, not understanding, uh, you know, when you go to play Utah, how you're going to be able to handle the, the personnel grouping that they deploy on the field with the challenges of their 12th personnel and going up into BYU and having the types of, of, you know, the crowd noise and the, the, the silent cadence and the signaling and, you know, and, and then, and then Zach Hill his relationship with Jaden Daniels, like you, that happens because you didn't think about those being things that you had to have sound strategies for in advance of them happening, which means that you're not going to be ready for the next things that happen. Right. So, uh, yeah. I think I've I think I've gone through it pretty good, Ethan. I would agree. It's it's certainly been a pretty whirlwind year, I guess, for ASU football in terms of everything that's happened. Looked like a promising promising season last year, maybe a little below expectations, and then investigation, NIL, all of this stuff happening. A lot of uncertainty as well. There's been a couple certainty things uh, the last couple of weeks. There's tons of uncertainty, so make sure to stay tuned to all of our content on sundevilsource.com as well as following Sun Devil Source on Twitter to make sure you stay up with all of it as we will keep you up to date with it. We also realize that all of these comings and goings makes it pretty difficult to keep track of the roster and just kind of who's where. So this month we will be starting to have position overviews and we'll also have player capsules so you can really figure out all the in-depth stuff and just kind of familiarize yourselves with the players on the roster ahead of pre-camps in August, which is now less than three months away. In terms of our next podcast, though, we'll have a similar conversation about ASU basketball's team, which has had kind of a similar unprecedented transfer portal with players coming and leaving. So we'll make sure to keep you up to date with that. But for now, that's it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I've been Ethan Ryder alongside Chris Kurtman. We'll see you guys next time.